Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Pastor Kevin and Melissa Goff are with us today. They're on our board of directors. They're dear friends. Uh, and, and so we're. if you've never heard Pastor Kevin before, would you raise your hand? Uh, it's going to be a lot of new people today, Pastor Kevin, that have never met you. You're going to tie on your, get your seatbelt ready, get ready. And uh, if you encourage him, he really preaches even better than before. Uh, we've known the Goffs now for probably 18 years or 20, so. 20, 20 years. years. 20 plus. You and Melissa went to South Africa yes, we and did. met and you said afterwards you need to meet Melissa's husband yeah and so God knit out our hearts together and we've been walking together there's probably not a day or at least three days past that Kevin doesn't text me or call me and I don't call him or text him he knows stuff my wife may not even know about me and even the and FBI that's okay because yeah. he's your and even confidant. the FBI doesn't know but we are so thankful it's good to have a friend like that isn't it and uh, I'm sure he will introduce his lovely wife and we just we are so blessed today he pastors a, a, a church of three different campuses in Phoenix Arizona and then also in uh, Oklahoma and today during Sunday they'll have about 10 services combined from their three campuses so they're really reaching a lot of people in Oklahoma City and Phoenix and I'd love for you to get to your feet and give a warm welcome to Pastor Kevin and Melissa Goff this morning Love you, man. Hey, how y'all doing, Father's House? Y'all make it sound like you're rooting for your favorite football team. Hey, give someone a high five. Give someone a high five and tell them you love them and tell them they're looking good. And uh, if you were not at the marriage conference, you don't understand the reference to your college football team. But uh, I, I, I did realize after the marriage conference yesterday afternoon. Pastor Anita really does root for her football team, and uh, which is proof people can be loyal because sometimes teams are bad. I'm not saying they're bad this year. You won yesterday, and it was quite a quite a game, quite a game, you know. But uh, if you're here and you've never been in service with me, um, love you, just love you. And you might say you don't know me. I don't have to know you because I know your father. I know the one that created you. And, and uh, those of you that were here yesterday, how many of you did your four L's last night? Did any of you do your four L's? Look at the, look at the hands that did the four L's. I had already received notification from some of you, uh, and even on Facebook, Facebook I saw it, that I was your laugh. <laughs> awesome. That's great. If I can do that, yeah, I already said yesterday I'll do anything. I'll go out of my way to make someone laugh, and it's just awesome to be back at the Father's house. I guess we've been speaking here now for about 15 years on the board, and, and uh, Pastor Terry literally is one of the best friends I've ever had in my life, literally. I would say he's in the top three best friends I've ever had. Yeah, and um, <laughs> maybe, maybe my best and closest friend I've ever had. And we've known each other, as they said, for 20 plus years. There's nothing I wouldn't do for Pastor Terry, and there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. And we've proven it because for over 20 years, we've been doing nothing for each other. And 
Um, but I love Pastor Terry and Anita. I think you guys should know by now you have the finest pastors you could ask for right here at the Father's house. And, and wait, 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 wait. Just like you're at the marriage conference yesterday, you're getting ready to let your pastors know how much you appreciate them like you do Ohio, Penn State, FSU, Gators, whatever team you love. If you see Alabama, Chris, where you at? He's not in here, right? Okay, praise God. Um, <laughs> love y'all. If you're online, we love Alabama. But give it up for your pastors. Come on, let them know how much you appreciate them. Let them know. Yeah, come on. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> and I don't and I don't just say that. I mean that my wife and I travel extensively and we meet a lot of pastors and you don't find pastors that love their people and their people that God's given them as these pastors do you and that's just an honor to stand here in a pulpit that loves people the way they do. And uh, next to them is the most beautiful woman in the world. And uh, t to me especially. And she is just absolutely the love of my life, the apple of my eye. And uh, I, I've proven it because I've married her three times. And uh, I mean, she couldn't live without me, let's face it. But I mean, who's going to look at her, right? I mean, look at me. Um, <laughs> but she is, she is. She is more than just my spouse. She is my best friend. And that is my wife right there, Melissa. I love you. Wave it, everyone. Yeah, yeah. And I've already made reference to it, but every week here you have an extended family. You have members that can't be here due to various things, and you have an extended family that's online right now. It's our community here at the Father's House, so let's put our hands together and welcome them. Let them know they're welcome here, and we appreciate so much those that will take the time to at least get a cup of coffee and sit in their pajamas and join us. <laughs> Nothing like being in the house, though, right? Nothing like being here in the house, worshiping and knowing what's going on right here around you. Come on, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day together. We thank you for your word that's anointed. God, we pray that you would come today and you'd begin to transform lives, transform mine, God, that they won't leave like they came in Jesus' name, but they'll choose to make a difference in their own marriage, in their own life, in their own spiritual walk today. Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor in the name of Jesus. Come on, everyone say Amen. Hey, let me just talk for a little while today about a subject I think we can all face because we all have to deal with fear. Come on, everyone say fear. fear. It doesn't matter who you are in your life. At one time or another, you've dealt with fear. Uh, there was a popular statement that came through for years that said, no fear, no fear. And there's people who will walk around, especially some of the guys, oh, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, yeah, you're afraid of telling the truth because somewhere in your life, uh, even now, you deal with some type of fear that either comes back and you have to put it back down, or maybe you have trouble putting it back down. Maybe some of you today, you tend to be a little fearful and anxious and, and various things. I, I will tell you this much, and this is something I want you to understand. You're not alone. You're not alone in facing the fears that you go through. And so today, I want to give you a scripture to open up with Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Isaiah 41 and verse 10, here's how it reads. Fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Now, some time ago, my wife and I, we were at a concert. We were hanging out because my wife loves country music. Man, she, she is country to the bone. And I go because I love my wife. I'm an old rocker, and I would rather see someone else besides Jason Aldean because I don't understand what he says. It's like, it's a foreign language. I've never heard of a truck. And, and 
<laughs> dog. I mean, I get about every fifth word that what he is saying is some type of a song. Uh, but my wife loves country music. So we're at this country concert, and, and because it was a three-day festival, uh, we were there all three days. We paid some money for the tickets. And, and uh, on that Saturday, we were up pretty late. I, I, I was probably up with my wife till about 1 a.m., and, and I flew home that day, and I did three services the next Sunday morning. Got home early in the morning time to preach three services, and I flew back to the concert to be with my wife. So when I got back, I, to say the least, I was a, I was a little tired. And I told her, we was at the hotel with some friends, and I said, let's just stay here. Football's on the screen. We were playing shuffleboard on the table. This is fun. And she said, we paid a lot of money for those tickets. We're going. And it wasn't about the money at that time. It was about the fact she said, we're going. That mattered. And so uh, I did what any good husband would do. I took my wife back to the festival. And so as we're standing there, the last act of the night was Jason Aldean. I went, baby, I'm really tired. Jason Aldean's coming on. This is a good time to, you know, go. And she said, okay, I know you're tired. Let's go. And so we started walking out of the venue. And the way she was walking, guys, you know how your wife walks when she's not happy? You know, I mean, when we're strolling, she's like, oh, I, you know, I love you. And now we're walking out like this. <laughs> so I finally, we got near the gate, and I said, baby, I know you're upset. I know you want to be here. Let's go back in, but let's stand on the opposite side. Just stand back. Let's listen. I'm with you. Besides, Jason Aldean has a good drummer. So we went back in, and we're standing there. And, and I'm talking as I would normally do. I'm making friends with people. And I'm, I'm talking to a guy behind me, and, and I kind of walk back and talk to him about what he's doing and who he is. And all of a sudden, I walk back with my wife, and I'm listening to the drummer, and we hear some noise. We hear some noise. And I'm thinking, fireworks are coming. Fireworks are coming. All of a sudden, my wife grabs me. She said, that's gunshots. Kevin, that's gunshots. Because I'm usually very hypervigilant. I'm very aware, but I was tired. And all of a sudden, I pulled my mind out. I said, you're right. That is gunfire. Yeah, we were in the Las Vegas shooting. And so all of a sudden, I looked at my wife. I said, let's go. We got to go. And I took my wife and started running. And, and, and all of a sudden, you're hearing bullets. Now the music goes off. The lights come on. Bullets going everywhere. People just hunkering down or standing there amazed. We're pushing people, saying, you got to run. Run, you got to run. And so as we get going, maybe, maybe from here to that wall, 10, 15 seconds into the run, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the fear. Come on, everyone say chaos. Everyone say fear. You'll find out those two items right there are evil twins. They run together. Chaos and fear don't walk alone. Where there's fear, there's chaos. And where there's chaos, there'll eventually be fear. So we're running in the middle of all the commotion, in the middle of yelling at people, in the middle of gunfire. I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says to me, up high Mandalay Bay. Stay away from up high Mandalay Bay. And I mean, there's just gunfire ricocheting everywhere. And I look at my wife and I say, I feel like God said, stay away from Mandalay Bay. And so we stood along the building. We ran along the buildings where we couldn't see the hotel and had no access to us. When we got to our gate where we're supposed to turn, the Holy Spirit said, don't turn there. Don't turn there. And so I didn't turn there. And that's the gate where everyone got trampled and shot and about 54 people were killed. But we found a back way out at a vendor's and we were probably among the first 75 out of the concert, not because I'm trained, not because I'm good, but because God in the middle of chaos, even in the face of fear, can speak to your heart and the Holy Spirit can direct your steps. Come on, everyone say, Holy Spirit. Holy and so I believe we can all deal with our fears. I believe we, and, and I will tell you, when you're running with your spouse and that's happening, there is fear that will grip your heart. 
And you have to be able to say to yourself, I believe God. In all things, I believe he's with me. In all things, I believe he will speak to me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me, let me share a few stories of when I was a younger child or young man that I, I, some things happened maybe I should have been afraid of that I wasn't. Uh, when, we, when I was very young, maybe six years old, we lived around some cornfields. I was terrified of the cornfields. I, I don't know why I was terrified. Maybe because I'm so short. And that wasn't meant to be your laugh for the day. And for those of you that are here still sizing me up, you should be done by now. Look how little I am. Um, but the cornfields, I was scared. So when me and my brothers and sisters, we would play hide and go seek, you know, where do you think my cousins, brothers and sisters will hide? In the cornfield. Well, one night the cornfields caught on fire and it was a huge flame, at least for a six-year-old, it seemed like a huge flame. Uh, looking back, my dad came to us and he said, I'm gonna go and help protect the neighbor's house because it was really burning hot over there. And he said, you kids stay here, mom's gonna pop you some popcorn. And with that, my dad disappeared behind the fire as a firefighter. And I just remember sitting there eating popcorn going, cool, that's so cool. And I wasn't afraid, I wasn't scared. Come on, everyone say, no fear. And I wasn't. So my family also traveled as a Southern Gospel music group. We used to travel across the nation, and we did music, Southern Gospel music. And one time we was in Mississippi, and after the concert, we were loading up the gear, and a big storm came up. It was kind of stormy, and a big storm came up. So we're sitting in the bus, and I looked at my dad because the storm was getting so fierce. I said, do you think this storm's going to be bad, that we're going to be in trouble here? No, it'll be fine. We should go into the church and wait it out. So we walked into the church to wait, and as we was there, the storm doors blew open, two windows blew out of the back of the church, and my dad said, you know what we should do? Let's practice one of our new songs. We need to work on those harmonies. So there we are singing. Here's the deal. We found out later a tornado passed over us. We didn't realize it, but I was never afraid. I wasn't scared. I was saying, no fear. Another time, I was on my way to church, and I was 16, seven, about 17 years old, I guess, and, and when I pulled up to a stoplight driving my parents' car, a Mustang pulled up next to me with three guys in, they started revving their engine up, and I was driving my family's Opal GT cadet station wagon. It was a cute little thing. It would do zero to 16 about five miles. <laughs> And, and so as, as the light changed, they peeled out, took off, and I'm, and so within about three blocks, an officer pulls me over. And, and as he pulls me over, he says, you know why I pulled you over? I said, I have no clue. And he said, for drag racing. I said, you got to be kidding me. No, you were drag racing. I said, I, I, I couldn't be drag racing. I'm in an Opal GT Cadet station wagon. I was up to 30 miles an hour. And he said, drag racing means you're pushing the vehicle to the full extent of its motor. I said, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. You couldn't catch the Mustang, so I became your target. He wasn't happy with me at the moment. And about that time, my dad pulled up going to church, and he pulled over. I said, my dad's here. He'll fix this. And with that, he cuffed me up and put me in the back of the car. My dad worked some magic, talked to him. I can't remember say, your son has an attitude. My son's never really had an attitude. He's a good boy. And dad let me out. I've been mean, the police officer. Finally let me out of the car. And dad said, dad, Kevin, do you have something to say to the officer? I said, yes, officer, I'm sorry, but I wasn't drag racing. <laughs> Obviously, I wasn't afraid. Everyone said, no fear. Now, there's a common denominator in those three stories. If you pay close attention, my father was involved in each one of those. Maybe I should have been afraid, but I don't remember fear at the moment because of my dad. My dad was a former bar-brawling strong man. Most people were afraid of my dad. And I, I was firmly convinced there was nothing my dad could not take care of. 
I'm wondering today how many are suffering from some type of fear in your life and you don't realize you have a father who will take care of everything that's ever come your way. You have a father in heaven that watches over you and there's nothing that will come your way that he will not take care of. Come on, look at someone and say, you have a father. <laughs> I was convinced and we should be convinced of the same thing. Faith is the only thing that will turn off fear. Faith is the only thing that will turn off fear. Come on now, look at someone and say, turn off fear. If you want a title for your notes, and I think everyone should have one, and hopefully you're taking notes because note takers are history makers, and here, here it is. Here's that title I'm going to give you, turning off fear. Turning off fear. Fear does not stop sickness. Fear does not stop uh, tragedy. Fear does not stop problems. Fear does not stop rejection. Fear does not even stop death. The only thing that fear stops are hopes and dreams. The only thing that fear will stop is the life that you're supposed to live and the life that God wants you to live, a life of freedom, a life of power, and a life that's overcoming. That's the only thing fear will ever, will ever kill in your life. Are y'all with me? So fear will keep people from living the best life that God has for them. I, I also realize that fear can be healthy. Everyone say fear can be healthy. My wife shared this story yesterday, but obviously there's a lot of you that didn't invest in your marriage yesterday. <clears throat> you, you were busy. I'm not, I'm not being real facetious, but you were busy, I understand. But, but as my wife shared this story, I'm going to go ahead and share it today a little bit, because when we first moved into our home, we bought a year, about a year ago, 13 months ago, uh, it's out in the foothills of Arizona in the desert, just out in the desert. And we had some friends that used to live out there, and they were hypersensitive to rattlesnakes. Be careful out there, there's rattlesnakes. Make sure you be careful of the rattlesnakes. In fact, one of the husbands came over and snake-proofed our backyard. They just snake-proofed our backyard. And so we're, we're unloading our gear, you know, we're moving in the first day, we're unloading. The second day we get there, my my wife is grabbing things from the car, and as she walks in, the day before, a gentleman helping us says, I saw a snake in that bush just out front. And my wife said, oh, Jason saw a snake. I said he didn't see a snake. That's just Jason. Don't worry about it. You know, try not to let her be afraid. And so, I don't know if he saw it or not, but in my mind, uh, he can't come near us. And so the next day, she's walking in, and all of a sudden, near that bush, she keeps looking at it. And she walks through one time, and sure enough, sometimes the thing you fear the most will come upon you. So she walks past that, and she's carrying stuff, and she hears a rattle, and, and she, oh my God, she takes off running. The faster she runs, the faster the rattle goes behind her. And she got to the door of the house and looked back, and she realized she was carrying a lamp, and the snake was the cord from the lamp. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we should not walk around looking for snakes. There should be a fear that's healthy that tells us not to play with snakes. So there is that fear that comes in to keep you out of trouble. But I wonder today, how many people here are running from something that's not actually chasing you? I wonder how many shadows are behind you. You're calling something that the God of heaven says, no, no, you're running from something that can't harm you. You're running from something that's not really there. There's a fear that's convinced you in your mind that what is happening around you is not actually happening. It's your fear that's driving the force. It's the fear that's making the story deeper than it actually is. Come on, look at someone and say, don't be afraid. So today I want to talk about some principles I believe will help us turn off fear. So write these things down as we go forward. Here's the first one. Number one, recognize fear as an enemy. Recognize fear as an enemy. You should not allow unhealthy fear into your life. 
Come on, you should not allow unhealthy fear in your life. We've been around people who, who can't release anything in their life. They've got to control everything. They're, they just have a, a way of their life. They're so afraid if they're not on top of things, things are out of control. I know parents that we call helicopter parents. They hover above their kids, and they swoop down and save them every time. Sometimes your child needs to learn a lesson, and you've got to quit destroying them by your fear, thinking it will destroy their life, because the same father that takes care of you will take care of them. I've seen parents who are letting their kids sleep in their bed when they're five and six years old. We should have covered that yesterday. You know, you know how old my baby was when he left, both my children, when they left? Well, we had three at the time. You know how, many, you know how old they were when they left our bed? <laughs> they came home from the hospital sleeping in their own dang bed. Right? It's, it's like the little, little girl that said to mommy, mommy, I'm afraid, please, there's a storm, and I'm afraid. And the mommy walked in and said, baby, it's going to be all right. I promise you we're going to get through this. It's no big deal. And she laid there with her and held her for a little while. And she said, mommy, can you just stay in here? And she said, no, I've got to go sleep with daddy. There was a little silence, and she goes, the big sissy. <laughs> Come on, everyone say fear. He's got to be an enemy. You've got to set your radar on the fact that there's going to be a driving force the enemy wants to bring and your flesh wants to bring to keep you down and have your imagination rampant about things that aren't really there. That's why the Bible says casting down imagination and that thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Come on. Uh, it was March 4th, 1933. The nation was in the midst of the worst crises economically than ever before. Nearly four years into the Great Depression, unemployment, the unemployment rate was at 25%. Okay? Americans faced not only depression in their own hearts, but the nation faced a national depression. This is also the day that Franklin D. Roosevelt was uh, you know, sworn into office as President of the United States. And after taking the oath, he gave one of the great many speeches we've heard from President Roosevelt. And here are his words. Let me... Uh, assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Everyone say needed efforts. Those are the words that stuck out to me. That fear comes and paralyzes needed effort that changes retreat into advance. That, that, that makes your world shrink instead of enlarge. That makes you think your best days are behind you instead of your best days being in front of you. That makes you want to replay out the past where you made mistakes or you got hurt or you were rejected and now you've got this, this ghost cast of members and you're replaying it thinking, I wish I would have said that or I wish I would have done that, but there's nothing you can do because you can never get that time back. Because as I often say, the only time we have is right now. Until right now. Now all I've got is right now. Until right now. And the point is, as much as I want to try to go back 20 seconds ago and change that right now, I can't because all I've got is right now. But the God that I serve... 
I don't understand how it works. He was with me in my difficulty yesterday. He is walking with me today, but somehow in his power, he's waiting on me in my tomorrow. I don't have to worry about what's coming because I know that God that carried me through all things already has all things worked out in my life. That's just who God is. That's just who your father is. Can you say amen? amen? Why must we recognize fear as our enemy? Because it's a gift that keeps on giving. Fear will not just come into one, of your, one area of your life. It will come into every area of your life. And not only that, you'll pass it off to the generation that's next to you, and that generation will pass it off to the next generation. You can see it in the Bible all through Israel. When fear would come through the troops, when fear would be there, you would see it pass from generation to generation. It's also not a gift that God has given us. That's why it's got to be our enemy. If God has not given it to me, then it should not be part of my life. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, The spirit God gave us does not make us afraid. His spirit is a source of power, love, and self-control. <laughs> Come on, y'all with me? Look at 1 John 4.16-18. So we know the love that God has for us, and we Trust that love. Did you know if you could stop and live one sentence in the Bible and that was the sentence, you could live an overcoming life? So we know, everyone say no. It's what you know that's powerful, they say. Knowledge is power. But that's not a complete truth. The complete truth is knowledge applied is power. So if you know the love of God and you don't apply the love of God, you may as well not know the love of God. But we know the love of God and we trust that love. Listen further. God is love. So it means we trust God. Everyone who lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. If, God loves, if God's love is made perfect in us, we can be without fear on the day when God judges the world. We will be without fear because in this world we are like Jesus. Look at someone and say, are you looking a little bit more like Jesus today? <laughs> Verse 18 where God's love is, there is no fear, because God's perfect love takes away fear. It is his punishment that makes a person fear, so his love is not made perfect in the one who has fear. What's it saying? Fear does not come from God. Fear is not a gift that God has given us. And I will tell you this much, you might say, I don't have a lot of fear in my life, but you'll find out that every negative emotion that runs rampant through your body, that runs rampant through your mind, is driven by the spirit of fear. That's why I didn't say God has not given us the spirit of jealousy, or the spirit of greed, or the spirit of anger, or the spirit of anxiety. He said he's giving you the spirit of fear, because if you can get rid of the spirit of fear, you'll get rid of all those other negative emotions, because every negative emotion is driven by the one spirit of fear that was not a gift given to us by God. <laughs> Come on, how many is with me? So I know people are driven from fear and by fear. And actually, when that happens, you believe God is the one attempting to punish you. I used to live in that fear. I was raised in an old Pentecostal home. Any old Pentecostals out there? <laughs> no wonder we're friends. <laughs> me and Pastor Terry. 
we couldn't even get up in the morning without sinning. And if you sinned, you couldn't go to heaven. So I was around 15 years old. I went, well, if you can't beat them, join them. I'm just going to go to hell and have fun. I figured I was going anyway. That's all I ever heard. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're... Well, good gracious. But the truth is, that was just somebody trying to guide me with fear. You might guide someone that's really like a child, an infant with fear. Don't touch the stove. Don't do the thing. But if you're still telling your 18-year-old not to touch the stove, we have a problem. Somewhere we got to grow out of that thought that God is a prison ward into the fact he's the one that's opening the prison doors. Come on, look at someone and say, you're free. Look at someone and say, fear is our enemy. Listen, God's not trying to attempt to punish you. No, God is love. He wants you full of love, power, and a sound mind. Number two, to ignore fear is to obey God. To ignore fear is to obey God. Many have said that fear not, or some form of that, is spoken in the Bible 365 times. So there's one fear not or don't fear for, you know, one, one every day, every, one every day, one, one for every day of the year. I, I don't know. I'll be t- honest with you. I've never counted them, and I probably won't. Don't think that's going to be on my agenda for study anytime soon. But I do know that we're told repeatedly through the Bible, do not fear. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Some form of God repeatedly telling us to not have fear, right? And so I, I know it's a common command throughout the word. It's almost as if God is saying, turn off fear. Ignore fear. Don't give in to fear. Don't let fear be something you concentrate on. Move beyond your temporary emotions. Don't base permit the decision based on your temporary fearful emotion. <laughs> Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. And this, the word, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. I, I love that. But because I love the word, I love to study what it means. When it said, I am your shield and your very great reward, I thought, what kind of reward there, could there be other than being my shield? I mean, that's, that's a pretty big reward. And the word, look at this, the word shield literally means a covering from danger, a covering from injury, or a covering from harm. So if there's a possibility that's coming near you, and I'm here, which he's always present, I'm going to protect you. How many have children? How many has ever been a child? I'm going to get you to raise your hand somehow. Um, sorry, sorry. Um, if you were there and your child was in harm, would you cover them? That's like saying to the men, if someone broke in your house, would you protect your wife? I would die for her. Oh, that's real chivalry. That's not my question. Will you live for her? So we live for our family, we live for our children, we protect them, we shield them, and that's what God's saying, I am your shield. But then he says something interesting, he says, I am your great reward. And, and, and this is the interesting word to me, because it means wages. I am your wages. Everyone say wages. wages. And listen, the theological workbook of the Old Testament from Harris, Archer, and Waltke says it this way, states that this wage was used in hiring an army to help deliver one from their enemies. 
So it's not that I'm just going to shield you. I'm your great reward. I'm giving you a wage that you can use with my troop that I will come and I will deliver you from your enemy. The one that I'm shielding you from, I don't have to keep shielding you from that. You can use the reward I'm giving you, the wage I'm giving you, and all of the forces of heaven will come and will conquer that enemy in your life. If you'll use the reward I've given you in the right way, you can be free from fear. Come on, everyone say, be free. Be free. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. <laughs> Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Now, let me, let me give you an image I get when I read this. My wife and I, we've done the same conference every year in Alaska, every July. And it's one of our favorite things we do. And we see bear and moose, and uh, we had a bear come within, from, from us to the front row, right in front of us, just right there. And we we're filming it, because the cubs were on the other side and she was catching salmon. So I looked smaller than a salmon, I guess, but. <laughs> if ever I'm glad I looked small, it was right then. And so they say when a grizzly attacks or comes at you, charges you, stand still. Look as big as you can. Don't look him in the eye and sound deep voiced. Okay, Mr. Bear, I know you're running at me, but I'm not seeing you. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I just want to know if there's someone around me I can outrun or push down. That's all I have to know. Are you slower than me? And if not, can I trip you? <laughs> right? You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to run that sucker next to you. My wife was there. I know I can outrun her. So much for chivalry. <laughs> she knows I wouldn't. <laughs> Listen to it again. Don't be afraid. Just stand still. And let the Lord rescue you. How tough is that? I've got a financial dilemma. Just stand still. Let the Lord rescue you. Well, I've done all I can. That don't mean stay home, don't pay your bills, and let God lick the stamp and send it. It means if you've done everything you can, God will do what you can't. If everything you've done humanly possible has been done, stand still because what you can't do, your Father will do it. Just stand still. But we don't stand still, do we? We don't stand still. We, 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 we say, oh, what am I going to do about my bills? I've got more month than money. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Just stand still. God's got you. No, no, we're on the phone. Can I get a loan? Can I get a, what, 25%? I'll take it. God said, I was going to give you a loan, and it was going to cost you nothing. Now I'm talking some real language that people get because it's hard to relinquish the control of our destiny to a God who created it for some reason. And if you're trying to create your own destiny, you've got a problem. But when you live in the purpose of God and the will of God, and you're doing as God asks in the word, you can be sure that the God of the word is the God that's providing. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Look at someone just say, just be calm. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Everyone say, be still and know that I am God. Here's where we have a real problem. Some people think when it says be still, it means stand still. It doesn't mean to stand still when it says be still. Because when I am being still, I might not be working not the problem, but I'm still working in my relationship with God. I'm still casting all my cares upon him because he cares for me. I've still got prayer that I'm going to give to God. I'm going to still speak God's word over my life and remind myself, not God. He knows his promises. I'm just reminding God of his promises as God has amnesia. Christians say it all the time. I'm just reminding God of his promises. No, you're not. You're reminding yourself of his promises. You're the one that forgets his promises. God knows every one of them. So I stand and I pray and I speak the word because I'm reminding myself. Right? Of God's promises. Everyone say God's promises. Look, 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 look at it. Be still know that I'm God. No, no. He literally means leave off or give up your own attempt. That's it. That's good. If you'll read it, that's what it really means in the Hebrew. Leave off or give up your own attempt. So stop fighting what you've already fought to your fullest extent and start deploying with your hands the wage that God gave you so all of heaven will come and provide for you and stop the enemy that's coming against you. I like the following translation. It's the contemporary English version. Our God says, calm down and learn that I am God. All nations on earth will honor me. The Lord all-powerful is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me give you an image of a chaotic time with a calming force. There was a day that a giant stood across the valley and spoke threats against God's army of Israel. Come out and face me today, cowards! And no telling what all he had yelled. And the army of Israel was cowering down and hiding. It was chaotic. We're afraid. And all of a sudden, a little shepherd boy named David comes along. And he says, wait a minute, what's going on here? I see the army afraid of a giant. Did y'all forget who sent you here? That's a great question to ask yourself. Have you forgotten who's created you? That the God of heaven and earth that created the universe and it spins perfectly and, 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 as it does in perfect harmony and, and, and it, just, it just rotates in such greatness that his word upholds, come on, that he created you. He's the one that caused you to be born and before you were formed, he had great purpose for your life and somewhere you think he's forgotten you. David said, you've forgotten who you are. And all of a sudden we see the little shepherd boy he says, I'll do this. I've got this. And the Bible says he took five stones and a sling, and he, and he didn't go, oh, I'm not sure. No, he ran toward the giant. He ran. The Bible said he was a ruddy little youth, and he ran toward the giant. And here was his thought. You think you're coming against me. You think you're coming against flesh and blood, but it's not me, Unify. It's the God of the army of Israel who sent us here. He has got this. Come on. To turn off fear means to obey God. That giant in your face, maybe you should just charge him trusting God. Come on, amen? To be still is to be calm, knowing that God fights for us. Look at someone and say, ignore fear and obey God. Number three, the last one I'll give you. Number three, 
turn off fear, to turn off fear, turn on faith. To turn off fear, turn on faith. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Jesus went back to the other side of the lake in a boat. In the boat. There, a large crowd of people gathered around him on the shore. A leader of the synagogue came. His name was Jairus. Everyone say Jairus. He saw Jesus and bowed down before him. He begged Jesus again and again, saying, My little daughter is dying. Everyone say again and again. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you had a problem you prayed about, you felt God didn't hear you, so you prayed again? How many prayed again and again? This man has a daughter. He's a, he's, a, he's a leader of the synagogue. He has a daughter that's dying, and already he's asked Jesus, and he's repeated it to Jesus, and he said it again and again. I want you to catch this. Hmm. Please come and lay your hands on her. Then she will be healed and will live. So Jesus went with Jairus. No, 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 pay attention. He asked again and again. Jesus went with him. Now understand, what it looks like to you and what it looks like to Jesus are two very different stories and outcomes. Many people followed Jesus. They were pushing very close around him. Now, here's the interesting thing. For the next 10 verses, Jesus kind of just meanders toward Jairus' house. Remember, it wasn't a quick thing because he's got a mob of people around him. As he's pressing through, a woman presses through the crowd. This is we, we know as a woman with the issue of blood. If I can just touch the hem of his garment. And she presses through and touches him. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the, and the disciples said, look at all the people. Jesus said, yeah, but this touch was a touch of need. And Jairus is over here going, I have a need, I have a need, I have a need. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's still alive. My daughter's little. She's dying. Are you ignoring me? Don't you see me? I'm right here. Jesus, you didn't hear me. I told you again and again. You're not meeting my need. You're worried about everyone else's need. Here I am. And all you are is touching people. And where's mine? Sound familiar? Have you lived there? Have you been at that residence before? Let's pick the story back up now after the 10 verses. Let me just say this first. Let me just say this first. I find out a person's need is most important than anyone else's when their faith is weakest. Some of you have come in here at times and you've left upset because somebody didn't greet you the way they should. You're so sensitive. And by the way, you know that message from Pastor Terry today wasn't from God because it didn't meet my need. No, what I know is when you serve God and you believe his word, it don't take a message from Pastor Terry to meet your need because God's word will meet your need. He's just encouraging your faith to live the word because we both know we're not trying to stand up here and say something different and rock your world. We're just standing up here obeying God. It's up to you to take it and live it and let your faith be the answer by the word. Now let's pick up the story after 10 verses of Jesus, as we said in the marriage yesterday, milling around the crowd. Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 42. 
While Jesus was still there speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. They said, your daughter is dead. There's no, read, no, reason, no need to bother the teacher. So here we have it, Jesus taking, the making, taking his time, healing people. They come and say, what you asked for is over. She's dead. Quit bothering him. Some of you wouldn't show up for church for the next three months. When you don't get your healing, you didn't make your rent, your wife said something mean, your favorite football team's on. I can keep going, I'll find your lane. I can find your toes, they're there. The truth of the matter is, we get so out of kelter when God doesn't show up the way we expect him to show up. Jesus, Jesus, I started an hour, two hours ago, repeatedly telling you my daughter's dying. And you took your time, and now she's dead. <laughs> Jesus hears the conversation. Check this out. I love this. But Jesus did not care what the men said. He said to the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just believe. But she's dead. I wonder how many dead things you have in your life you're letting lay around that Jesus wants to resurrect. I wonder how dreams have died in your world. I wonder how many emotions have died in your marriage. I wonder how many times your children has messed up and you think they're dead. And God said, if you just believe, I've got a resurrection power that you obviously know nothing about. <laughs> Come on, y'all with me? But Jesus led only Peter, James, and John who's the brother of James, go with him. They went to the synagogue leader's house where Jesus saw many people crying aloud. There was a lot of confusion. He entered the house and said, why are you people crying and making so much noise? The child is not dead. She's only sleeping. But everyone laughed at him. Hmm. See, I don't know who you think Jesus is, but this is the Jesus I love right here. <laughs> when, when they laughed at him, I can only imagine Peter backed up and went, Ooh. You done did it now, bro. <laughs> they laughed at him. Jesus told the people to leave the house. I don't think he went, hey, y'all, now that you laughed at me, just leave. I think the OG Jesus showed up. Oh, y'all think this is funny? You got something funny? You think this is funny? Get on out of this house. Well, I got to get my bag. Leave your bag and just get yourself out of here. You say, oh, Jesus would never do that. You better read the Bible differently. Because this is the same Jesus that went to the temple, and he, and he premeditated a whooping. He saw what was going on. He left. He made a whip. I'll show them how to sell a donkey in the house of God and sell doves and use them. Now, mind you, some people think you whoop the people. I think you whoop the donkeys, but that's beside the point. Now, if you're a donkey, that's up to you. You might, you, you might just need yourself a whooping. <laughs> All right, come on. Jesus told the people to leave the house. Then he went into the room where the child was. He brought the child's father and mother and his three followers into the room with him. Then Jesus held the little girl's hand and said, Talitha kum, which means the little girl, I tell you to stand up. The little girl immediately stood up 
and began walking. She was 12 years old. The father and the mother and even his followers were amazed. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. And here's my question. How many of you are waiting for Jesus to amaze you? How, how, many, how many are, well, let me, let me further the question. Do you want Jesus, <laughs> do you want to be amazed by God or do you want God to be amazed by you? See, we don't think in terms of that. Oh, come on, show up, Holy Spirit. Show up, power of God. Amaze me again today. I need you. Yeah, great. But how many times have you spent your day, instead of God trying to amaze you, have you spent your days trying to be amazing to him? And here's why I ask. I'm going to go in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10, as you begin to see the musician and the team make their way. Right on cue. Y'all are awesome. Look at the scripture, verses 5 through 10. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my house, my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Then Jesus heard this. When Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. <laughs> Fear does not amaze Jesus. Fear says, I need Jesus to come and amaze me. But when you understand you're under authority, and when you truly understand you're a person of authority, by the power of God's word, by the spirit that lives in you, that's when you begin to amaze Jesus. He was amazed. Turning to those who were, who were following him, he said, I'll tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. To turn off faith, we must turn on fear. I mean, turn off fear, we must turn on faith. Amen? How do we do that? Romans 10, 17. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, what are you talking about when you open your mouth? Are you talking the word? Are you speaking the word? Are you repeating Fox News or CNN or the CDC and the pandemic and mask or no mask or vax or no vax or what are you talking about? What are you listening to? Because whatever you're full of is going to come out. Look at someone and say, you're full of it. Give me 30 minutes in your home and I'll tell you what you're full of. Because you can't be full of it without it coming out your mouth. And when fear's there, fear comes out. And Jesus stands back, and all you're saying is, where are you? I've been asking. You're touching everywhere else. Show up and amaze me. Jesus said, when I left the earth, I gave you the power. I transferred authority from me to you. I gave you a Holy Spirit, and I told you it's better if I go, so he comes. When he comes, he's going to carry all the authority of heaven. And when you walk in that authority, guess what happens? You amaze God. To turn off fear, you've got to turn on faith. I'll give you a personal story and I'll close with this pray for you. A moment where I had to turn off fear by turning on faith. My wife and I, 
went through many difficulties. When we started the Rock Church, March of 97, July of 97, we had an accident. Just four months into pioneering this church. Went through an intersection, a little car, me and my wife and three boys. And, and as we went through the intersection, a diesel truck ran a red light and we collided. He drug us a thousand yards the opposite way. It broke my wife's neck in two places, broke her back in three places, shattered every bone in her face. They had to cut her face off twice and fix it and put it back on. They had to take skull bone and rebuild her nose. She has over five pounds of titanium down her spine. Her neck is fused. And it killed our nine-year-old twin son, Brandon. And it was the most painful experience I've ever been through. What we haven't told a lot of people, we don't talk about a lot, but seven years later, after the church is now growing, and we were out one night, we got a call that our 18-year-old boy had had an accident. So they said, your son's in the hospital, he had an accident. We didn't know what that meant. When they called us to the hospital, we were in the busiest hospital in Phoenix, fifth largest city in the nation. We got into this busy, busy waiting room, over 100 people. They, they, are you the golfs? I said, yeah, and they pulled us into the side room, and we went, uh-oh, we've been here before, this isn't good. In the side room, they tell us that my son was out with some friends in a pickup, and another pickup, 80 miles an hour, drunk driver, ran through the intersection, hit my son's, the truck he was in, it threw him through the windshield, he fell face first into the parking lot of McDonald's, killed the three in the other truck. The one still crippled from my son's truck, another one is just not right mentally. My son laid face down in McDonald's parking lot. Seven years later, ended up in the same hospital, the same surgery, with his face being pulled off. But when we first walked in, they said, your son's not well. His brain's bleeding about 26 to 27 places, and we can't drain the area it's in. Immediately, my wife started saying, not again, not again, God, not again, I can't go through this again. And the twin that had lost his brother ran out the door mad. I stood there going, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. Here's what I did. The night my son was killed, I prayed all night long. I prayed in the spirit. I prayed, I had people praying. I didn't take any pain meds. I had three broken ribs, a broken collarbone. My face had been cut. My chest was bleeding under the skin. I wouldn't let him give me pain meds because I was gonna be clear eyed, but my son still died. Now what do you do? Your second son's gonna die, what do you do? I'll tell you what I did. I turned on faith and I turned off fear. I went to battle just like I did the first time. And I started saying, God, I don't care what the enemy tells me right now. I'm more in all of heaven right now. I believe your word. And you know what I believe? I believe that night I amazed God. Well, that's arrogant. You say what you want. I don't really care how you feel about it. I amazed God. And I stood by faith and I said, God, your word says, and I'm reminding myself right now that your promise are yes and amen and they're true. And I prayed in the spirit and I prayed the word. And a day and a half later, the doctor walked out and said, something happened to your son. His brain quit bleeding. I said, doctor, that's amazing. He said, no, I've been a doctor a long time and I've never said this, but that's not amazing. It's a miracle. He said, it's like he's cut, it'd be like cutting off five of your fingers. Well, four fingers and a thumb, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and they all just quit bleeding at one time. He said, it just don't happen. But God. Come on, everyone can turn off fear. I encourage you. Stand strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Can I just pray for you? Father, I pray for every person that's here right now.
God, I pray that they won't leave like they came in Jesus' name. Lord, transform their lives, transform their hearts, God. Transform their minds, change the way they think. Lord, we just pray right now. Now everybody look at me just for a moment. Everyone look at me. This is a moment of truth, a moment of boldness. Maybe you're here right now and you say, Pastor Kevin, I'm born again. I know Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. But this sermon was almost curtailed for me. It was almost made for me. I'm going through some stuff. And it's, this, is not a, this is not a bad thing to admit. I, I have fear knocking at my door. I have fear gripping my heart. And right now, I, wanna, I just want this word to go into my life. I don't want to leave like I came. I know I'm going to heaven, but I need prayer for this area. If that's you, come on boldly. Lift your hand up. Lift it up. Lift it up. Lift it up. Good. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Good, good. Father, I pray for every one of these people right now that they won't be the same. God, that this is the day they start to amaze you with the faith of your word. That when they leave here, they'll remind themselves of your promises, God. They won't wait and say, where are you? They say, God, I know you're beside me, and I know your timing is right, and I will stand, and I haven't done all the stand. I'll stand, continually, put on the armor of God. Father, I pray that right now they will, in the next, in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, Lord, that they'll remember this moment, this time, when they chose to change their mind forever in Jesus' name. Now, 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 now one more question. You can put your hands down. One more question. Do you know Jesus as your Lord? Not, not have you heard his name? Not did you go to church as a child? Not were you baptized as a baby? Not are you a good person? That don't get you to heaven. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've all come short of God's best. Meaning, sin passed through all of us and we all born separated from God because sin separates from God. Then it goes on to say, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sins. That's why in the Old Testament, they would take a, a lamb and they would kill that spotless lamb and, and they would give the blood from the, to the high priest and he would use that blood to cover the people's sins for one year, Passover. But because a man sinned, ultimately a man would have to die. That's why Jesus came to earth in the form of a man. He lived a sinless life, born of a virgin. And, and, and come on, he never sinned. That's why he's known as the spotless lamb of God. At the end of his life, they led him to a cross where he laid his life down, spilling out his blood. His blood don't cover sin for a year. His blood obliterates sin. The Bible says past, present, and future sin, all dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Here's salvation. The book of Romans says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There's no other way. Heaven, what is heaven? Well, what does it mean to be saved? <laughs> well, first of all, let me save from an empty life in this earth. That void, that chasm, that emptiness you've tried to fill. You try to fill drugs, alcohol, parties, relationship, business, money, career, hobbies, busyness, but you still say there must be more to life than this, and there is. It's not something that someone, his name is Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. And it means born into a place called heaven. Heaven's a perfect place. No more sickness, no more disease, no more pain, no more viruses. Love, joy, peace in the presence of Jesus with those that you love and those you influence to go with you. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. So it's another moment of boldness. I'm going to pray a prayer. This is the prayer of confessing Jesus. You're here. You don't know him. You're not sure where you stand with him. You've never confessed him as Lord. You've cut your relationship with him somewhere along the line. You need to reconnect. I invite you to pray this prayer with us. Those online, you can join us in this prayer as well. This is meant for you to find Jesus. We're going to pray it together. Those of you that are born again, pray it with me. Those of you that need to pray this prayer, just join us. Can we do that together? Everyone together. Father, come on, everyone together. Father, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's your son. I believe he died on the cross. He was buried and rose again. Jesus, I confess you now as my Lord, my Savior. Forgive me for my sin. Make me new. From this day forward, 
I place my life completely in your hands. And I place myself in a local church to learn more of you that through greater knowledge of who you are, I will grow in deeper love with you in Jesus' name. Now listen, now listen. We're gonna celebrate in a moment, but I want you to take that same step of boldness the others already have. If you're here, you prayed that prayer just now. You meant it from your heart to Jesus. You did that, you prayed that. That was your prayer. Come on, slip your hand up right now. Just slip it up. Just hold them up, 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 hold them up. Good, 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 good. Come on, now celebrate. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.